Welcome everyone to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now here's the show. Welcome everyone to Talking Reef Podcast, episode 12. Well, got a bit of good news for you. I finally went out and got a good headset and mic, and hopefully that's going to help with some of the sound and uh, other issues that people have mentioned. Uh, the other thing is I've actually moved to my basement. I've taken uh, the iBook, and I'm now recording in the basement. Uh, if you listen carefully, some of you may hear the background sound of uh, of my fish tanks. Uh, I think I've toned most of it out and it shouldn't be too distracting and I'm not sure if it's going to be a nice ambient sound in the back or if it's actually going to be distracting. So we're going to go ahead and try the show like this. If anybody uh, has any comments or if it seems to be annoying or anything like that, just you know, feel free to let me know and uh, I'll try to work something else out. But it's a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more private down here for me. So I'm going to try to stick with that for right now. So, one of the other things that I didn't want to bring up is, um, as I mentioned, uh, with the purchase of the new microphone and headset and all that stuff, many of you know that this, some of this equipment is not very cheap. Um, so, in effort to help kind of offset some of the costs, um, as you've probably seen with most uh, podcasts that you listen to, I have added a series of donation buttons to the website. Uh, any donations would be greatly appreciated. Uh, it's not a requirement. This show is still and going to be in the future offered free of charge. Uh, there will, you know, and I'm going to continue to work with it that way uh, to try to offset some of the costs. As I said, we're going to do the donation buttons on there, and um, in the future, I may work to get a little bit of advertising on the website. I'm going to work pretty hard for right now to try to keep any of the advertising out of the show, you know, at least for right now. Uh, as bandwidth costs and stuff like that go up, I may adjust that. But uh, for right now, this is how we're going to do it. Uh, one of the next thing I want to talk about real quick is the poll on the website regarding the show titles is currently not in a tie but very close. Uh, right now it is, I believe, 21 votes, and the we're, right now the leading vote is to change the uh, podcast titles. So, and you know, I think it's winning by oh, it's winning by two votes right now. So right now it's 12 votes to change it, 10 votes to keep it. Um, anyways, that, that, that poll is going to run until uh, the end of the week, which is Friday, October 7th, uh, at which time, as long as it's not a tie, I'm going to go ahead and close that poll, and future episodes will uh, follow the new format. And that's about it for the intro section for right now. I'll probably have some more comments at the end of the show. Uh, but what I wanted to do now is get into the main part of the show, um, I got some comments and questions that I'm going to take care of at the end of the show if I have time this episode. Uh, this is going to be kind of a special episode this week. There was a member of the Reef Central Forums who posted a question in the Experts Forum to Eric Bornman regarding tank maturity issues. Uh, that was actually the title of the thread was Maturity Issues. And I actually talked to Eric a little bit and got his permission and blessing to basically reproduce this content for the show. Uh, he actually seemed a little excited, or at least happy, that it was it was being spread around a little bit more. So, uh, the, first of all, I'd like to thank Eric for uh, allowing me to share this information. Uh, 
Now, just as a disclaimer, um, this information comes from Eric, not from me. Uh, I'm going to reproduce it here. Also, if you have listened to this information before or read this information, uh, feel free to either skip to the end or, uh, you know, just, you know, you can stop listening to the episode now. This is going to be a majority of the episode. Uh, I'm not sure how long this show is going to run with this information in here, uh, but we'll go ahead and, and we'll find out uh, once we get it all recorded. So at this point, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into the first topic, which is the the stuff about the the post that was on Reef Central. Uh, I'm going to summarize the question, and then I'm going to go through a couple of the other comments that had come up, and then I'm going to get right into Eric's answer. Okay, so here is the question that was posed on the forum. Uh, I will have a, a link to the original post in the show notes, so you can feel free to go there and, and get all of the information. It actually turned out to be a very, very, very long post. So uh, basically, here's the question that was asked. Hi, Eric. I was hoping you could help me understand better what it means for a system to mature or become established. Hobbyists, including me, are always saying not to keep that SPS or this anemone for at least a year until the system has matured. What exactly is the difference between a tank that's fit just finished cycling a month ago and one that's finished cycling 11 months ago? Does it have to do with water parameters being more stable? Does it have to do with natural food availability? Does, in quotes, tank maturity pertain more to those who utilize a deep sand bed because it takes six months or so for a deep sand bed to become functional. Okay, there were a few comments before Eric got uh, into answering the original post, so some of this information is going to come from those comments. So here was the response. He says, before delving in, delving, diving into this, a couple of comments. Uh, this is one of the comments. said, I know Eric to be a promoter of letting the tank's natural flora and fauna proliferate for many months, and I agree that this is a very natural and safe approach. However, I think someone who has been there can modify these guidelines according to their experience. No, you can't rush quality. I agree that rushing things is not preferable. If I had the space and the time, I would have waited longer than a month to put any animals in my tank. I guess what I'm saying is that experience can allow one to get away with some things. Then again, sometimes not. And the response to that? I agree that one can go much faster depending on what one begins with in the first place. And depending on how many times you've done it before. That said, with the average startup, there are certain things, as mentioned, that can't, cannot be hurried. And hurrying them seems to make things worse rather than better. The experience plays an important part in this in that it gives you the ability to nip things in the bud before they become an issue uh, because you're aware of them from a mature tank. Now, a couple of the points that I wanted to comment on this that are quite important is that it's being stressed here, what I've stressed many times before, letting things proceed naturally in a tank is um, almost always a preferable route. Uh, it's very important that when you're setting up your tank for the first time or setting up an additional tank, you want to make sure that you do everything you can not to rush that. Uh, it is a process that the tank has to go through. There's a lot of natural things that the tank has to go through. You want to make sure that you give your tank sufficient time to go through that process. Uh, otherwise, it can lead to some very bad effects or even disastrous. Okay, so moving on to the rest of the answers and uh, questions and answers. Basically, uh, what do we have? It says, does it have to do with water parameters being more stable? 
Yes, but not really, not necessarily. Does it have to do with natural food availability? Uh, not sure, but I don't think so. Does tank maturity pertain more to those who utilize a deep sand bed because it takes six months for a deep sand bed to become functional? Uh, no. Tank maturity seems to be even more an issue without a sand bed. The sand bed just takes some time to get enough nutrients and to sustain population and stratify into somewhat stable communities. Uh, seems like a longer period of time makes things go in other directions. So here's the tank reasons and then I'll blow into some ecology for you. When you get a tank you start with no population of anything. You get live rock to form the basis of the biodiversity. And remember that virtually everything is moderated by bacteria and photosynthesis in our tanks. So live rock is the substrate for all of this and also has a lot of life on it. How much depends on a lot of things. Most marine animals and plants don't like to be out of the water for a day at a time, much less the many days to sometimes week that often happens. So assuming that you're not using existing rock from a tank or the well-treated aquacultured stuff, you have live rock that is either relatively free of anything alive or you have live rock with a few stragglers and a whole lot of stuff dying or about to die because it won't survive long in a tank. From the moment you start you are in the negative. Corallines will die, sponges will die, dead worms and crustaceans, echinoids and bivalves, many of which are in the live rock and you'll never see. Not to mention the algae, cyanobacteria and other bacterias, most of which is dead and will decompose or which will die and then decompose. This is where the existing bacteria gets kick-started. Bacteria grows really fast, and so they are able to grow to levels that are capable of uptaking nitrogen within, well, the, the cycling time of a few weeks to a month or so. However, if you realize the doubling time of these bugs, you would know that in a month, you should have a tank packed full of bacteria and no room left for water. That means that something is killing or eating the bacteria. Also realize that if you have a tank with constant decomposition happening at a rate high enough to spike ammonia off the scale, you have lots of bacteria food. Way more than you will when things stop dying off and decomposing. So bacteria growth may have caught up with the level of nitrogen being produced, but things are still dying. You just test zero for ammonia because there's not enough bacteria present, because there is enough bacteria present to keep up with the nitrogen being released by the dying stuff does not mean that things are finished decomposing. Now if things are decomposing they're releasing more than ammonia. Guess what dead sponges release? All of their toxic metabolites. Guess what else? All of their natural antibiotic compounds uh, which prevent some microbes from doing well. Same with algae, the inverts, cyano, dinophalangites, etc. So let's just figure this death and decom decomposition is going to take a while. Okay, so now we have a tank packed full of some kind of bacteria, probably not much of others. Eventually the death stops. Now what happens to all the biomass and bacteria without food source? They die. Oops. And denitrification is a slow process. Guess what else? Bacteria also have antibiotics, toxins, etc. All released when they die. But the die-off is slow relative to the loss of nutri nutrients and there is already a huge population so you never test ammonia. The water is fine. But all these things are happening every time. They get less and less but keep happening. Eventually they slow and stabilize. 
what's left. A tank with limited denitrification and a whole lot of other stuff in the water. Who comes to the rescue and thrives? The next fastest growing groups. Cynos, single-celled algae, protocysts, ciliates, etc. They do their little cycle thing. And then the turf algae. Turfs get mowed down by all the little amphipods that are suddenly springing up because they have a food source. Maybe you've bought some snails by now, too. And a fish. And the fish dies, of course, because it may not have the ammonia to contend with, but it has water filled with other things that we can't and don't test for. Plus, beginning Aquarius usually skimp on lights and pumps initially, and haven't figured out that alkalinity tests, so pH and oxygen are probably swinging wildly at this point. So the algae succession kicks in, and eventually you have a good algal biomass that handles nitrogen. The bacteria have long settled in and also deal with nutrients. And the aquarium keeper has probably stopped adding fish for a spell because they keep dying, and started visiting some forum boards and reading books, and are getting the knack of this tank a bit. Uh, they probably have also added a bunch of fix-it-quick chemicals that didn't help any either. Also, they are probably scared to add coral that would actually help with the photosynthesis and nutrient uptake, or they have packed in corals that aren't tolerant of those conditions. About a year into it, the sand bed is productive and is stratified. Water quality is stable, and Aquarist has bought a few more powerheads, understands water quality a bit, coralline, algae, corals, and other things are photosynthesizing well, and the tank is mature. That is when fish stop dying when you buy them, at least the cyanide-free ones. And corals start living and growing, and I stop getting posts about, quote, I just bought a coral, and it's dying in my tank, dying, and my tank is two months old. And they actually start answering some questions here and there. So ecologically, this is a successional population dynamics. It's normal. And it happens when there is a hurricane or a fire or whatever. In, in nature, though, you have pioneer species that are eventually replaced by climax communities and usually try to stock immediately with climax species and find it doesn't always work. Now, the too mature system is the old tank syndrome. Uh, happens in nature, too. The whole forest fire reinvigorating the system is true. Eventually, on a coral reef where the intermediate disturbance hypothesis is running, thought on why coral reefs maintain high diversity. They're stable, but not too stable, and require storms, but not catastrophic ones, predaceous, but not giant blankets of crown of thorns, mass bleaching, or loss of key herbivores. This goes to show that good approximations, these tanks are mini ecosystems. Things happen much faster in tanks, but what do you expect given the bioload per unit area? So our climax community happens in a couple years rather than a couple centuries. The thing is, I'm fully convinced that intermediate tank disturbances would prevent old tank syndrome. So that was the end of the post. There's a lot of other information in the in in the entire thread that goes on and on about different things. But uh, basically, what I want to do at this point is comment on a few things. You know, provide my little I guess editorial regarding some of the things that he mentioned, some of the things that happened with the quote-unquote new tank syndrome and old tank syndrome and stuff like that. Uh, so. 
basically there's a lot of a lot of really good points that are brought up in here one of the first things that i want to want to mention is that and this goes for new tanks and for mature tanks when you try to test for stuff when you're in the beginning of your your tank cycle and stuff like that and you're testing for certain things and you don't see certain things reading like uh like he mentioned that you didn't see ammonia reading and like I said, this applies to current tank situations when you test for nitrate and you don't see nitrate. Uh, a lot of times what that means is that you actually have enough bacteria in there to handle the current load, and that's why it's not showing up on the test. For example, you, have, you are working with your tank and you have a recent algal bloom. Let's say your tank is six months old and you may consider it somewhat stable. And out of nowhere, here comes this algal bloom. You're starting to get this this brown dusting in your your substrate and your rocks or your glass or what have you a lot more than normal well what's one of the first things you do you start testing for ammonia nitrate and you know all the normal stuff and everything comes back normal and that's when you jump on the forums or the news groups and you start saying hey there's something going on in my tank but all my tests are coming back normal the thing you have to keep in mind is that algae that is starting to grow is consuming all of that excess nitrate and it's it's sucking it up so what's going to happen is you're not going to have as much free nitrate in your tank so your tests are going to come back and show little to no nitrate and that's because of this algae bloom that's actually going on in there it's consuming it to a point where you're not reading it on your tests so keep that in mind when you're going through and you're trying to troubleshoot things if it if you're having an algae bloom or you're dealing with a new tank or something like that you know, just because you're not testing it doesn't mean it's not there. It just may not be in an abundance where it's actually coming up on, on your test. Another thing that's really important when dealing with new tanks is there are a couple things. There's one of the biggest things that happen when dealing with new tank is they get a algae bloom right after the cycle completes. And this is something that's very normal, and I've received a lot of questions regarding this. And it's something that you should be aware of it happens and it's one of the first signs that your cycle is finished so you know it's a very normal thing and we should just you know let it go and just keep an eye on the tank and usually when that alg algal bloom starts that's usually an indication that once it starts to clear up that you are you that you are safe to start adding your fish and stuff like that into the tank one of the things that eric gets into a little bit towards the end is a thing that's referred to as old tank syndrome what he's referring to here is that in nature what happens is the reef areas are hit by not disastrous events but somewhat i don't not sure what the word was but somewhat devastating you know a hurricane or a monsoon or typhoon or whatever the the different things that could be or tidal waves or anything like that are going to come through and and do some kind of have some kind of devastating effect on the reefs what it does is it actually cleans out a lot of the stuff and it allows for um, different types of inhabitants to come through and rebuild different types of population and the end result is you have a tank that is just stable enough or you have a reef that is just stable enough and you have a, a very large biodiversity in the tank there are some ideas floating around regarding ways to prevent old tank syndrome um, some more of them are actually discussed in this thread if you're interested um, like I said the, the link will be in the show notes but there are certain things that are just that ideas that are coming up about ways that you could kind of generate some kind of mini 
not so disastrous disaster in your own tank. Something to actually kick your tank into performing this cycle that happens in nature. And there are some ideas regarding majorly stirring up the sand bed or doing a massive water change or moving a bunch of coral around. And um, I don't think at this point that there's any concrete scientific evidence on ways that you could do this, but I just thought I'd mention it. If there's something that you're, you, you want to get a little bit more information, go and check out this thread. There's a lot of great information on there. And if you have any, you know, specific questions about any of this stuff, feel free to, you know, let me know and I will see what I can do to try to answer those a little bit better for you. At this point, you know, basically what I was getting at here is I thought that this was a very good write-up and I wanted to kind of take the chance to share it with everybody because it's one of the, the better write-ups that I've seen regarding, you know, new tanks and the processes that, that go on in the tank. So... I'd like to thank everybody for bearing with me uh, through that. I am probably the world's worst reader, uh, especially when it's not something that I wrote. I'd just like to say thank you. I, I hope everybody uh, got something out of that or enjoyed it. I'm not sure how this is going to go over with everybody. Um, I would really like to hear some feedback and comments on this uh, regarding this show to see whether people liked it or didn't like it. Uh, it's probably not something that I'm going to do very often. Uh, I like to try to keep the material original instead of depending on other people. Uh, but I would like to hear some feedback to you know, let, let me know how it went. If it was really bad, then I'm sorry, and I will try not to do any more of these in the future, at least retain, refrain from reading other people's stuff or anything like that. So at this point, like this, like I said, I had a couple questions to comment, so I'm going to move on to those right now, and then we'll wrap it up shortly. Okay, so this question came in, I believe it came in on the forums. There was a little bit of commentary in the beginning. I'm going to kind of skip over that and just kind of get right to the question. Basically, uh, this is from Matt from Mike, I'm sorry, from Mike, and he basically says, uh, I went to the MACNA in D.C. two weeks ago, and there were several speakers who, of course, had a lot of information. But one of the topics was regarding the use of garlic in foods for marine fish and its effectiveness against certain disease. Do you have any experience with this? Uh, I know several of the usual manufacturers sell garlic-enhanced food now, uh, which means that they have gotten on the bandwagon, but it does not necessarily mean that it is effective. Uh, I also talked to an assistant curator at the Key West Aquarium, and she said that she had used it once to cure ick on a fish that they couldn't catch and treat. As far as I know, no scientific study has been completed, although Stephen Pro did say that he was going to do one next using Molly's acclimated to salt water. Regards, Mike. So, Mike, this is a great question. This is something that I hadn't initially thought about talking on the show, uh, but it does bring up a lot of great points. I do use garlic. Um, I use it, uh, basically, the I use the Kent garlic extract, and basically what you do is you just, you soak, it's a food soak, and you soak your food in it for a minute or so before you add it into the tank and allow the food to absorb the, the garlic extract. And it serves, it serves a couple different purposes. Garlic, first of all, is a um, natural in, appetite enticer. So if you've got finicky fish or fish that don't react or they're not eating very well, uh, adding this garlic extract to the food is a great way to get them to start eating. 
Uh, if they're not eating it when it's soaked in the food, you can actually, it comes with a little dropper and you can put a drop or two into the water um, a minute or two before you feed or you put the fish food in there and it'll actually get them to uh, jump in and usually will get them to start feeding. One of the other things with garlic, and this is true for humans and fish and everything, and this is actually well known in the uh, homeopathic fields where people you do natural medicine and all that type of stuff. Uh, garlic is a natural antibiotic and it can prevent and so, uh, so said to cure a lot of different things. My opinion, does it cure things? It might, but I see it as more of a preventative maintenance type thing. You know, it's kind of like saying, well, I've been taking, you know, vitamin C every day for the last six weeks and it's and I haven't got sick in the last six weeks. Well, did you not get sick because you're taking the vitamin E? Or do you not get sick because you weren't put in contact anything that you would have made you sick? Or were you put in contact with something on such a minor basis that if you weren't taking the vitamin C, you would have gotten sick? It's really hard to tell. My thing with the, with the garlic is I know it is a natural antibiotic, which means that in some cases and in most cases there's a lot of stuff that it's going to it's going to at least boost the animal's uh, immune system and give them a stronger ability to fight off anything and it does entice them to eat a lot more and stay healthier so my opinion i think it's worth it the little bottle that i use of the kent garlic extract i think it's called garlic extreme um, it's a little bottle. It comes with a dropper. It costs $13 for the bottle, and that bottle will probably last you six, seven, eight months. Some people have commented on uh, making their own, squeezing garlic and pulling the extract out of it. My opinion, for $13 for a bottle that's going to last you six months, it's probably easier to buy it than to squeeze fresh garlic every week or two to have your own. I mean, the amount that you're going to spend on the garlic is definitely going to be more than than you know thirteen dollars or so so regarding the garlic i think it's a i think it's a great way to go um, i definitely don't see any downsides to it it's relatively cheap and i think all in all it gives it'll make your your fish a lot healthier so uh, i hope that answers your question uh, i think it's a great thing and uh, we'll move on from here okay so i'd like to thank everybody for uh joining this episode um, like I said, thank you for bearing with me on that reading. Hopefully it was uh, beneficial for you. Uh, I'm going to keep this you know, closing pretty short, and uh, we're probably just going to hurry up and get out of here. Uh, I've got a couple good things that we are still working on. Um, I've got uh, a guest co-host that's going to be doing some shows with me. I think we're going to be recording those in the next couple days, so hopefully you'll hear from those, and it'll hopefully it'll make the show a lot better. Um, so that's about it, and I will be talking to you soon.